This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. All right there, friends. Good evening. It's Jared here from the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. I say evening because normally I record in the morning, but this is a very special, very special episode of the podcast. And my guests are staring at me with smiles on their face. Though Corey Ring, he might be a little nervous. I'll, I'll explain why he very well might be nervous in this little intro. Um, so first off, if I sound terrible, um, I was at a wedding last night. The other guest on the uh, episode, my my dear friend Titch White, was getting some, let's just say some risque text messages late into the evening. Uh, because again, for all you kids out there that are listening, um, if you see me as a role model, there might be times where I am not that. But all of that aside, um, in all seriousness, welcome. Um, so this is Friendcast number three. Um, so I got a couple of buddies on. I've already mentioned their names, but I'll give them a little you know, more of a formal intro in a second. I'll also let you guys know that of uh, the topic for for today. We've got an interesting one, um, you know, to kind of to kind of shoot the breeze about. So introductions, right? So you guys know Corey Ring. So he um, he's the man behind Cigar Box Battles, and you know he's been on the pod before. He's a good friend, and then um, a truly legendary figure. This is this is why Corey might be nervous, right? Um, the infamous and uh, my really like one of my best friends in the world, uh, Titch White. So. Um, our little trio here, I like to kind of think of us as sort of like the Southern group. They both live in Atlanta. So, you know, again, I've known these guys a while and, you know, we'll, we'll hit up NashCon, you know, to play some miniatures. And, you know, I try to get down there as much as I can. And when I do, you know, we get a chance to see each other. So um, I guess maybe we should say hello, you guys, and then uh, we can talk about the topic. So maybe Titch, you should go first since nobody knows who you are yet. They will. Thanks, Jared. Thanks, Jared. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to be here with you. Yeah. Jared and I go back a long way. Um, I met him when he was 10 years old. I was first friends with his dad, Bert. Um, we game together three, four times a year at major conventions for year after year after year. And uh, he introduced me to Jared one night. And I was like, what you got in your room? He goes, I got something cool. He opens the door and here's 10-year-old Jared Peyton Ministers at a table. So I've uh, watched him grow as a person. I've got him by a few years, and we've been we've been friends for almost 30, 30 plus years now. It's pretty wild, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. I and I often say I when 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 people ask me about Titch, right? I'm talking about him in the third person. I think when I first met Titch, so Titch was I, I mean, you must have been maybe 21, right? 22, yeah, something along those lines. Um, I just remember being like a little kid, and the thing that stood out more than anything else about Titch White. Besides his, you know, laughter and just like really just like a good guy is the guy would carry the cooler around like he had a cooler. I had never seen a human being carry a cooler. I just thought it was the, one of the coolest things ever. Now, of course, I was a little kid, so I'm not drinking or anything, but, you know, it, he would just fish, you know, sodas out of there. And I just thought it was the really like one of the coolest things ever, you know. And, uh, and you know, and again, every time I talk on this podcast about a new project or diving into something new, it's usually Titch's fault. 
So because he's just a wild person. Isn't that right? I think you could probably agree to that. You are a wild human. Uh, this is true. This is true. <laughs> and I, I think I just sent you about 350 oh, yeah. millimeter War, uh, War of the Roses figures. Yes, you did. And and then, of course, sunk me into a new project. And, you know, I came up to the house today and saw another, you know, package because I, of course, I needed more, you know, and again, that's that's you. And by the way, for those of you that are listening, the reason that Corey Ring is more than likely nervous because he's known Titch probably longer than me. So, Corey, I need you to jump in here. Is that that's correct, right? So, uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this today. I think I, I met Titch in probably eighty nine or ninety, something like that. So, yeah, I think uh, Titch was uh, he was kind of a, a friend of my brother's. Um, there was a friend group, and I think that started in about eighty nine. So. Um, where my brother went off to college here in Atlanta. And so, and that's where Titch kind of got roped in and I met Titch. And then of course, that's how I met you, Jared was, uh, you know, through right. Titch. So Titch is kind of the, the common denominator here, um, you know, of, 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 uh, you know, of how everybody knows each other. So, um, but yeah, I, I've known uh, Titch is the type of guy, you know, that you feel, even if you have just met him last week, you feel like you've known him for years. Right. Oh, yeah. So, you know, very easy to talk to. And I think you'll get a, um, you know, a sense of that during the podcast, but great friend. Titch lives actually uh, not too far from me. You know, Atlanta is a big place, but I can probably be at his house within 30 minutes. And we kind of have an informal gaming club where we meet when we can and we meet, play with some other guys, either at my house or we're, we've also, you know, Titch's house or we've also been looking at some, trying to move it to some gaming game stores. Um, you know, so um, just to get a little extra exposure, but uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I met Titch was through my brother, probably like I said, probably in '89 or '90. So it's been a right. while, right? So you have more crazy Titch White stories than I do, more than likely. <laughs> and now the funny thing, <laughs> but, audience, is now like Titch is all red <laughs> because he knows we have we have a lot of dirt on this guy. And but here's the thing: oh, I can share really a lot talk. of stories. We can't talk but about the, it though. Your business we, we will can't be destroyed. Talk about it. No, no, totally. Yeah, yeah, this is a different, Titch would get arrested. This would be a, <laughs> this could be a, you know, that, that's a different podcast. Yes, right? absolutely. We'll talk about, yeah, a whole different podcast. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I, here's the thing, before we talk, here's a serious question. Before we, we talk about the, the topic for today, I, I don't think I know this answer. So when you guys were in your 20s, right? Were you guys even gaming together back then, or is that more of a modern thing? So, T, you want to jump in there? Well, um, Corey moved to Atlanta, what, 94 or 95, Corey? That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we started gaming regularly or as regularly as you can when you're young and working and going to the local conventions uh, and getting together in our apartments and houses and playing a variety of, of games, I think. I was still playing Empire back then, the crunchiest of crunch. And uh, then we played some Sword in the Flame, DBA. Uh, your brother had a big, uh, Corey, your brother had a big 40K epic army for a while. I think that passed through us at some point when he moved right. off to California. And I think just 40K. For some reason, I remember a big 40K game at your house. Um, yeah, back in, I mean, second edition kind of time frame. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, we, we launched into some joint projects. And that's where Corey comes in. He and I get each other riled up. I get Jared riled up. Corey sucks me into projects and vice versa. And I think 
It was 99. We started our War of the Roses project. We'll talk about that more when we get to big game versus small game. But we started in a War of the Roses project that has morphed into a just almost all-encompassing project. And it's been going now for, you know, 20 years. Um, right. And I, I think uh, I still have six or 700 figures to finish up, which won't take long. It's just putting them in the queue. Right. You know what I appreciate about this hobby so much too? Again, I was picking on UT before and I probably been secretly picking on you because it's like, oh God, like now I'm looking at this pile of lead in my basement. But again, you know, I talk about this stuff to students all the time. Dude, I've learned more about the War of the Roses. That was sort of a black hole for me. I knew really very little about it. But as soon as, you know, it's like you guys know how it is. As soon as you get those minis, all of a sudden you're reading and, you know, learning about, God, how many um, different important nobles that all wanted the crown, you know, after crazy. I guess it was Henry the Sixth, right? It was after Henry the Fifth died, I guess, on the battlefield, right? And then Henry the Sixth sort of shows up. So I've been reading about all that, you know. So it's been uh, so it's been a lot of fun. So by the way, T, um, you you yeah you you're you're sort of alluded to the uh, to the topic of the day, and this is this is going to be a little controversial. We like controversy on here, right? So today, what we're going to talk a little bit about um, is the big game versus the small game when it comes to miniatures, right? So. Let's define big game, right? So I'll give you my definition, and then kind of as the moderator, we'll we'll see what the guys think. So when I was a kid going to HMGS cons back in the day, and don't get me wrong, you can still see it now. Like these guys here, you know, Corey and Titch, they do this a lot at NashCon with the whole War of the Roses thing. The big game, right? You know, you go into the hall, and there's just a giant spectacle of a game happening, you know? You walk around the table, there's, you know, 20 people playing, there's thousands of minis on the table, it, it it is the big game, right? And I I don't know, like I don't know if it's um if that's something is it something going by the wayside? Because again, like as much fun as I've had, you know, at the last few cons I've gone to, I don't know. It seems like a lot of companies are moving towards more skirmish based games. You know, say a, a lot of games where you don't need a lot of stuff, where you don't have to paint that much. Um, and I, I that that's going to be our topic today is kind of kind of talking this through a little bit, you know. So for our audience out there, I hope, um, you know, I hope you enjoy this. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you don't find this boring. I think this is a big one. You know, it's a big topic. So um, I don't know, Corey, you want to start? Um, what's your take on this whole thing? Right. Because, I mean, look, you, you've got your finger right on the pulse of the industry, given that you're part of the industry. So what, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. I'd say high level for me. I think the goalie is the big game. Right. That's, you know, to me, Jared, it's like, you know, do you want to ride a Harley or you want to ride a moped, right? You know, uh, I mean... <laughs> well, <I'm>, me, <laughs> neither. Like, I, I would die, like, instantly. <laughs> you barely I'm ride a kidding, bicycle, but, Corey. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but I think, you know, uh, the way I, I kind of came up through gaming, it was always about the big, glorious games, the big battalions, right? It was, you know, in the grand manner, you know, Peter Gilder, you know, battalions, the smallest battalion, you know, we were playing with is probably 24 figures, right? Um you know, these big column line square games. Uh, I had a friend that used to pay, play Frappe, which kind of predates Empire. I believe it was one to 10 scale. So you're talking about these 
you know, huge battalions and huge squad, you know, cavalry squadrons. Um, and, and it was glorious, you know. Um, the thing about about the big games, though, I think they look, to me, they look the best. It's always a great goal to have. It's just, you know, how much time do you have? You know, how much money are you willing to invest in a project, right? What's the budget? Right. You know, and then the setup time, right? To set up these games. You know, Titch and I run a game. It has thousands of figures. And it, on a, and a, I mean, a 24-foot-long uh, table is probably on the small end. You know, we'll do a sea portion with a beach and, and right. you know, some ships out there, some cogs and a castle and a town and then the battle. And, um, you know, it takes hours to set it up, hours to break it down and, and, and you know, a long time to play it. And it, it looks great. But it's definitely, um, you know, there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go into that, right? Whereas, you know, and, and those are the rules I like, though, Beyonce, again, you know, back to uh, in the Grand Manor or, you know, Tactica, right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about these big, massive, you know, Tactica, Ancients, Artie Conliffe, ar- uh, ancient armies that look like ancient armies. Um, Columbine Square, or, you know, a lot of people know I'm a fan of Johnny Reb. Well, you know, Johnny Reb, the, you know, it, it, you know, 20 figures is about the average size unit. So a brigade, I mean, you're painting at least about a hundred figures just to push a brigade around. So um, if you're playing a division or core size game, you know, you're going to paint a lot of figures, but I've never really seen a problem with it. I love to paint. It's, it's part of the hobby. I like, it's kind of my relaxation time after work, you know, um, yeah. but you know, listen to uh, watch a pod, you know, listen to a podcast, right. Um, you know, or a movie and, and just paint away. So uh, I, I don't mind it now, the, you know, to me, the small games, there's definitely an appeal there, right? And I see the trend moving that way, by the way. So as far as Cigar Box Battle, I mean, we do both, but I'd say what I'm seeing a lot is skirmish-sized games. I'd say Sharp Practice is a great example of that, right? Sharp Practice 2, where people are setting up, you know, big skirmish games, 20, 30 figures aside, right? Um, you know, yeah. um, Blood and Valor, uh, you know. Um, you know, the, the skirmish, the thing about uh, the smaller games is, one, no matter what period in time you're, you're playing, there's skirmishing going on, right? A lot of people don't think, but, but I mean, even in, in Marlboro or War of the Roses, I mean, there's the tip of the spear. So there's always skirmishing going on, no matter what period you're playing. And it's just a great way to kind of try, paint some figures and try out a set of rules and try out a period without being, you know, heavily invested. And you can also grow to a big period, right? So you can start painting some War of the Roses figures and then move to a big battle game later if you'd like. Right. Um, but I, th- I think that to me, that's the appeal of the small game. So personally, I have like boar war, you know, I, I, I don't plan to paint a thousand boars, you know, but, but I'll do a few for, <laughs> right, right. you know, like a, a breaker Morant type scenario or um, maybe a Franco-Prussian or 1866 type of skirmish, right? You know, around a farm or a Viking raid, or I would even put DBA in that, right? With such a small amount of figures that you're playing with. You know, it, it is a small scale game. And like we talked about sharp practice, um, but and some of my favorite games are skirmish, you know, like um, I would I would consider um, brother against brother or, um, you know, uh, sword in the, the sword in the flame or some of the Warhammer historical games like their their old West game. Right. was excellent. You know, Warhammer yeah. historical. And um, I think those are great periods. Titch and I have dabbled. We were, haven't done much gaming in it, but we've been painting early war, early World War One, 1914. So well, I have Belgium's. <laughs> yeah, and I have early Germans, but you know we plan on playing it kind of like a skirmish game, right? So right. it's you know, um, which I think really it, that's going to benefit the Belgians, right? In that type of uh, you know, with that type <laughs> of scenario. But um, right. you know, I mean, they're probably not going to do well in in a, in a grand tactical game, but in a skirmish game they'll do well. But I think there's a lot of fun, or period, like I said, periods you don't really want to paint a thousand figures like maybe you know uh, Mexican American War or you know Texas War of Independence that. Um, 
but that's kind of the way I see it. Um, but you know, it, at the end of the day, for me, it's about it's it's about having it being fun. So just do what you like and have fun with it, dude. That was the most thorough answer that anybody has ever given on this podcast. That is a compliment, Corey. So to the audience out there, I hope you were listening. This man is a treasure trove of of gaming knowledge. T, what do you think? Well, I guess oh. the first thing is is Corey is is Corey really a treasure trove of gaming knowledge? That was he, that was he an is. answer. He is. I, I'll <laughs> jump in here, and he is. But yeah. I take a, I take the approach of I'll go back in time to the seventies. Um, I was a little kid, and uh, my neighbor up the street was babysitting, and my mother was a professional artist with a studio in the house. And of course, like a little kid, the older kid up the streets there, and I go in, and he's painting Raffam. Uh, camel core. Oh, for the God, Sudan. Awesome. Yeah, those are old figures. And yeah. I watched him paint for like two and a half hours. And then I went to bed. And a couple, maybe the next month, he came down. Uh, he was using the studio with all the lights and all the stuff. My mom just told him to be careful. And I went in there and watched him, and he handed me one. Mm-hmm. And that's when it started, 1976. <laughs> it it is. Well, I call it the it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, that following summer, he came home or he, right before he went to college, he invited me up. And my job was to sit on a stool and deliver beers and sodas and watch the game unfold. Right. And here's a 16 foot by five foot table, two ping pong tables, I think, were back to back. And there's hundreds and hundreds of Sudanese and British and Egyptians on the table. I don't remember the rules at this point, but I just was fascinated. Yeah. And by Christmas, I'd moved five feet closer to the table. And by the next summer, I was given a command. So I had to earn my stripes. (laughs) But all the games (laughs) games I was exposed to as a young kid was, was the big game. It was hundreds of figures, whether it be World War II or Napoleonics, you know, there were there were just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of figures. And so from my earliest introduction to the hobby, that's what I see when I look at a table. I look for, you know, scattered terrain and the beheading in the back and the the guy storming the kicking the door in on a piece of terrain, things that things that captivate all your imagination right there on the tabletop versus say DBA where it's very abstract. Although I love DBA, I, I, I own dozens of DBA armies and that's where I first started gaming with your dad. Right. Um, but I like DBA and I don't really consider it a skirmish game because you paint a complete army. Yeah. It makes sense. It's not very big, but you have all the different troop types represented and you, you get to, you get to play a game out. So uh, after years and years and years of painting Airsfix figures and Roco tanks and working my way up to, to lead miniatures and getting to college and painting, I don't know how many tens of thousands of 15 millimeter Napoleonics, it's always been the pursuit of the biggest game possible with the most yeah. number of figures in the most interesting scenario. Got it. So, so okay. So, just sort of as the moderator here, right? I mean, I I definitely get the sense of you know where you you both stand, right? So, I guess here's something I'm thinking about, right? So, I I just wonder, like, so 
when I was at Historicon um, over the summer, definitely a lot more younger people than um, I had seen previously. So people in their 20s and their 30s or 40s. I wonder, are they going to feel the same about the big game if they haven't necessarily seen them? You know what I mean? Like, do you think, do you guys think, and I don't know who wants to take this first, um, do you think that because people today are going to cons and seeing much smaller games and scale and things like that, is that what they're going to sort of grow up on? Do you know what I mean? Like, I guess what I'm trying to say, maybe in other words, is the big game going to die? I don't know, Corey, if you want to start or... So so maybe, yeah, you know, probably. Um, And and that's okay, you know. I mean, there'll always be some grognards out there that are going to kind of carry the torch, right? So... Um, again, do what you like, have fun. It's like music, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, people like certain types of music or, or, you know, and things become fashionable or, or, or fashion or, or ice cream, you know, um, everybody likes something different. And I think it's okay to like small games. Um, big games, I think for new people would be intimidating, but you know, there's probably not a big difference in, you know, probably me and Titch were intimidated when we first saw those big games. Right. Um, but I think it's just about what do you want out of the hobby? And for me and Titch, I think it was always about we wanted that big mega game. And it was what we saw in, you know, Wargamers Digest. And it was what we right. saw in The Courier. And it was kind of, you know, that was the standard back then. I mean, um, you know, when you go back and look at some of these even early TSR pictures where they're playing Napoleonics, you know, they're big battles. Um, you know, the skirmish games are fun. Um, I think nowadays they're definitely probably more marketable. They're easier to you know, you could to package it's a box and you have, uh, you know, several figures in it. Um, and some, some quick and easy rules. I mean, games workshop, that's kind of where they really excel, right. Is yeah, uh, you can get in the hobby, you know, uh, not, not cheaply, right. But you can get in the hobby for a low figure count. Um, so I think that's kind of, you know, would the big game die out? I hope not. Um, you know, we didn't see a lot of big games at NashCon, but I will tell you this, we did have some cancellations and I was really caught up as a vendor. And so I kind of had to look at myself in the mirror and go, Hey, you know, if, you know, I, I probably should have run a big game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll, you know, I'll try to do that at cons, but, um, you know, the small games, they just travel better. Right. You know, like DBA again, you know, it's not a skirmish game, but the reason I kind of classify that it's 12 elements, you know, for an army, right. you know, 12 elements and a cigar box and a, and a little bit of terrain and you're ready to roll. Um, not much different than 12, you know, uh, figures for, you know, any skirmish period, really. So I, I think, you know, for a new gamer, definitely small games are going to be more attractive. I yeah. think, um, and that's, but again, I think everything's progressive. Um, you know, the way, again, Johnny Red was rolled out. I think John Hill, when he, with Johnny Red won, the way he did it is the very first scenario had, it was two regiments, one regiment fighting another regiment. And the goal was you, you painted one, one union and one Confederate regiment. And then, the next scenario, it went into a brigade. So you had three or four on a side. And so I think you can, you know, uh, you know, in Games Workshop, again, use that well, bold action, kind of these escalation leagues, right? You can kind of escalate and grow your armies over time. Um, but I think there's room for both. I think there's room for, you know, uh, Titch and I play skirmish games. Um, matter of fact, we've talked about doing pirates and we've talked about, uh, again, <laughs> 1914. So, um, you know, there, I think it's just about having fun. But uh, for me, you know, I, the big game is going to always be my, uh, my ideal of what I want to work toward, right? It's going to be my, my Taj Mahal, so to speak. Right. right? I've heard um, of you guys playing skirmish games. I don't know if I believe that. Titch, is that true? No. Um, <laughs> no, actually, we do play skirmish <laughs> games. But on the Pirates, yeah, for a moment, um, my partner in crime, 
has painted 24 pirates. <laughs> I've painted 240 pirates and I have probably 10 ships and I'm working on a fishing village slash port through my friends at Etsy, where you can find all kinds of amazing things. <laughs> and, yeah, they're not uh, paying me yet. You're, you're complimenting them too much. <laughs> I, I'm complimenting them because I've found some deals there. Yeah. But no, I, I think, I think that when you talk about skirmish games, there are certain periods, and Corey alluded to them, Vikings, for example, it's it's very hard to field uh, unless you're doing Hastings or or something from early uh, early Britain. Mm-hmm. You're you're only you only need 36, 48 figures. Pig wars, right. not a lot of figures. Um, and but I think what has really brought skirmish gaming to the forefront. And is the advent of the tournament games mm. like bolt action? Oh yeah, like uh, Flames of War, um, like what they're doing with Middle Earth now with Games Workshops. Right. You don't need a lot of figures to play those games, but they're also quite abstract. And mm-hmm. if you play uh, bolt action, you just get pinned the whole time. <laughs> Sorry, that's, <laughs> yes. that's my, I, that's my personal. I've peak. heard that story. You've heard that story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think that's that's where I don't like the tournament scenario. I played tournament DBA for years because it was it was like a chess tournament. You know, as Corey's point, you have twelve elements, you do your thing, you win. There's a decisive victory, you move on, but you get to fight so many different types of troops, uh, so many different periods, people who historically wouldn't face each other, and that was what was enthralling to me. And to Corey's point, also with forty eight figures 60 figures max you can have a whole army ready to go and you can paint one or two of those a week if you're any kind of uh painter of speed Mm -hmm. um but you know when i look at pirates i'm looking at you know 10 ships a couple hundred figures you know freed slaves government troops a variety of things that make the game complete and there you go from fighting for an island that's three feet across on one of Corey's mats to a 12-foot table or a nine-by-five ping-pong table, which is my standard gaming table in my gaming room, uh, you know, all of a sudden it's jam-packed and there's a lot of action. When I think about skirmish games that only have 20 or 30 figures, to me, it's almost, why don't you play a video game? I know mm. that's sacrilege to say that, but <laughs> you play um, Call of Duty and it's 30 guys aside, all the terrain is there, all the stuff is there. You move, shoot, communicate. Um, there's just no dice. So for me, that's that's where my brain goes the smaller the game gets. And, you know, uh, zombie games don't require more than, you know, 100 zombies because they recycle. Mm-hmm. I have a Martian game that has not a lot of walkers, but they recycle so many times before you have before you have to, uh, you know, win or lose. Right. Uh, you know, I've played Zulu games um, where, you know, there's a lot of Zulus there, but the reserves were recycled in as the frontline units were killed off. Uh especially works drift. Right. Um, but I, I just, I like the painting and building and collecting side of the hobby, probably equal to placing them on the table, pulling out a ruler and rolling dice. Yeah. Um, 
So that to me is kind of where I get stranded between both those worlds. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But, and you know, here's another thought, you know, again, my job here is to just listen ultimately and kind of throw some ideas out here and there. We always talk on this podcast um, about the idea of kind of growing the hobby, right? And I don't know, like, you know, if we're, if we're thinking about, like, here's the deal. We are, even though I'm not that old, and neither are you guys, but we are kind of like the old guard on some level. So, Corey, you were mentioning, like, maybe almost like a responsibility, uh, you know, to run the quote-unquote big game at NashCon, you know? What I wonder is, you know, if we do put more of those big games out, is the big game a a better seller on the hobby than, for example, going into hall, you know, and looking at a bunch of skirmish games. Do you know what I mean? Like, T, I see you kind of pointing. What do you think? Or Corey, what do you think? Yeah, I'll jump in. I mean, I, I think so in a lot of ways. I think for me, I mean, I, I speak from else, but you know, it's about the aesthetic, right? I, I've always felt that miniatures was about the visual appeal, the aisle appeal, and it was mm-hmm. about the miniatures. You know, I have a lot of friends that are board gamers, and that's the big difference, right? They love the strategy. They love the tactics. They love the, the period. I mean, they're playing games. It's set in the Franco-Prussian War or the American Revolution, but they're just pushing cardboard counters because the visual aesthetic really doesn't mean anything to them. It doesn't, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of value for them. Right. That. Um, you know, so I think there, ha- there has to be something for, said about the big game. You know, I'm not a tournament director. I don't really organize conventions. I've talked about it, me and Titch. We, you know, there really isn't a lot happening in Atlanta. We've talked about maybe having a convention here. And I can guarantee you this if we did run a convention, I'd want to have at least a couple, one game per session that was a big game, right? So, yeah. you know, I want somebody to roll in here and, and, you know, do a big Napoleonic game or, you know, a big um, War of the Roses game or a big Civil War game uh, or English Civil War, 30 Years War, and just show what you can do. Um, very similar to what you see kind of, um, you know, at salute, right. With these big boards, you know, um, you know, bridge too far, right. Arnhem with, um, you know, Waterloo. Um, I think uh, they're the big, beautiful battles. Now they're really to inspire gamers. I don't think your average gamer, your new gamer is going to be able to go home and do that. But I think, you know, that's what inspired me. I remember, you know, there was a local gaming here, uh, store here in Atlanta that's very iconic called the sword of Phoenix and Titch, and I went there. They had locations at Perimeter Mall, Linux, um, and then they had one over kind of in Brookhaven. But I remember as a kid going in there and seeing big displays of Napoleonic miniatures and dioramas and being able to talk to talk to guys that were gaming these periods or excited about it and buying the paints and the, the uniform, the Osprey uniform books and the rules and the minis. And it was just exciting, exciting times, you know, and uh, that, again, that's always been my goal is just to, to kind of, uh, but I think the big game is the inspiring game. So that's kind of my thought. Um, skirmish games are fun. I, again, I play a lot, you know, I've played, um, um, you know, a lot of the Dan Mercy games. Um, oh, he's awesome. Know, uh, yeah, I love his rules. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Lion rampant. I mean, they're great games, great rules. Um, but you know, to me, and you can do both by the way, you know, it doesn't have to be exclusive. You know, you can, build big armies in one period and then you can um you know build up and that's kind of what I, what I call my some sideshow projects like old west like what a cowboy you know it's just, to me it's a sideshow project you know you paint up 10 cowboys you get some buildings you're playing right um, right you know and, and to to do before the game after the game um in between or maybe when your gaming club meets and you don't have a long time but you know my gaming club some some of the best gaming clubs i've been involved with you know, we would set these big games up and either game them all day. Like when I mean all day, like 12 hours, like we right. would start at 10 a.m. and go to 10 p.m. 
or we'd leave it set up for two or three weeks, right? And finish it out. You know, we we'd do, you know, aspirin essling or, you know, marengo and leave it set up for, for, you know, several weeks and, and play it out. Um, so for, again, for me, I think that's always been the goal is that the, the, the visual appeal. Um, but I also think you have to ask yourself, you know, as a gamer, what's your scope? Like, do you, what level of command do you want to be? Do you want to be Napoleon or do you want to be, you know, uh, a captain? Come right? on, you, you, you know? gotta want to be Napoleon, right? <laughs> Well, you know, but I think for the skirmish games, you know, there's something to be said about being that captain that's tasked with capturing a farm or, you know, and also you got to talk about scale. So I think skirmish games for me personally work best in larger scales, like 28 millimeter, maybe even 40 millimeter, right? Like mm-hmm. Sash and Saber has some beautiful 40 millimeter figures they and Green goes yeah. 40 um, or 54 millimeter, you know. Um, but also I think the two millimeter and the six millimeter and 10 millimeter players, you know, um, doing it consciously or subconsciously, but I think they're going for that, that big mega massive look, um, yeah. you know, but it's just on at a smaller scale on a smaller size table. But, um, right. you know, those, those 10 millimeter armies, if you took them and did them in 28 millimeter, it'd be pretty massive. So I think it's just about what you want to do, what you want to paint, how much time you want to put into it. Totally. So T, what do you think? Do you think the big game is a better seller of our hobby? You think it's, you think it's gonna attract more people if, you know, you get some newbies or, you know, some fresh meat, maybe we could call them, you know, as they kind of walk into the convention hall. What do you think? Uh, well, what I think first off is uh, it's it's inspiring to see or it's aspiring to see. You want to aspire to that level of gamesmanship. You know, when I was first started going to Cold Wars and Historicon and Fall In back in college, when I was poor and slept in a sleeping bag on the floor, <laughs> uh, it was it was those those big games made me want to be a gamer. You know, you you could play the smaller games, but even back then, I would paint twenty four Napoleonics to build a, a battalion a night in college. Um, I remember we did uh, Circus Maximus, which is you know a skirmish game. But I painted 24 different chariots, including 12 that looked like NASCARs. Right. So you you have to have a game that inspires, big or small. Whether it's Gladiators or it's Waterloo, to Corey's point. But the key to convention gaming and, and drawing the fresh meat in and getting it on the spit, starting to roast it, is it's got to be inviting, inclusive, and fun. And what you see and what I saw for several years at some big conventions, and I've been to conventions all over the world, um, the game didn't allow anyone who wasn't already in the click in the game. So you just stood there with your jaw dropping watching this English Civil War game unfold with 38-man units and 50, 60 units aside and cavalry and, and, and a beautiful terrain, but there was no way to participate. Mm. So to Corey's point, when we do our game at NashCon, which we didn't do this year, a uh, logistical nightmare on my part, but we would not pre-invite the participants. You know, we would allow anybody to walk up and we use Tactica, which, which we modify slightly to make it a, a quicker flow um, and to put some more uh, tactical movement in, but it only takes about a turn and a half 
before these guys are doing their own thing. And then they're really getting into it and they're pushing beautiful miniatures around and they're doing interesting things. And they're, you know, we've got crazy dice because I buy dice at every convention, you know, so they're laughing, they're having a good time and they go away and they go, I really enjoyed that game. I really enjoyed those guys. I want to put a game on like that. So, you, so they now aspire to when they're 10 or 15 years older to have a game like that to share. Yeah. And I think it's cyclical, right? Um, building like AK-47. Was, that's a great game. I built two armies for AK-47. They weren't big. They were a lot of fun. But I went to a convention and there were three or four guys aside, each with their own army, whether it be government or or uh, native or uh, opposing government forces. And it became a big game really quick. And it was a ton of fun. Yeah. And that's to me... There's two kinds of big games. There's the one you walk into, uh, like I've seen at Colors or Salute or Partisan, where you just go, good Lord, he's painted the doorknobs mm -hmm. on every 40-millimeter building on a 20-foot table. And there's these beautiful figures, but you just get to see it. And then I've gone to Historicon and played in games where somebody's kind enough to allow you to ham fist their miniatures and push them around the table um, for a very enjoyable time. So to me, whether it be bolt action where you're pinned, constantly pinned, and you don't get to do anything. <laughs> you got to get over that. <laughs> I'm never getting over that. Or you're playing, you know, somebody like Corey runs some fantastic uh, Civil War games with hundreds of figures aside. Uh, it, as long as it's fun, as long as it's inviting and inclusive, I think it's it's what really makes the game. Yeah. And Corey mentioned Sword in the Flame. You know, Sword in the Flame is a scalable game. And that's that's where rules and the big game is somewhat rules agnostic. And that's what a lot of people forget. So you can play Sword in the Flame like we've played on your mosque, where it's 48, 50 figures aside. But I've also played Siege of Peking at Origins uh, a number of years ago now, where there were several hundreds of figures aside. Yeah, it's a great game. One of my favorites. Yeah, and and, and the Sudan with Sword yeah. in the Flame, where there's you know hundreds of Mahdi's and you know hundreds of British, and it really plays plays very well. Um, I play rapid fire in 15 millimeter, but instead of using individual figures, which the book calls for, I use stands of four or five. So the game gets really epic looking very, very quickly. You know, I, I think when I play World War II, I think about the Bridge Too Far movie. Mm -hmm. You know, my, my grandfather's in it. My great uncle was in the Battle of Market Garden. But when I look at that and I say, why would I just have six figures to represent this when I have six stands of two, three, or four guys? And now that looks like what it looks like in the photographs in the movies, in the recollections and memories of people who were there. So it goes from a small game to a big game very, very quickly. And a lot of people, when they think big game, they think complexity. Empire Four, the Elan test for everything, two Opal Cheneys with spears sitting in a tree line, <laughs> making every roll, holding an entire division up. Right. Um, they think of the crunchiness of a big game. And I think a big game can flow and be fun fun and enjoyable, but it's, it's just the spectacle of it all. 
it's so the spectacle of it all. That's, I think, you both kind of did this, even though we we didn't plan on anything. For all of you listening, right? This is really very much off the cuff, and that's on purpose. Um, you both touched on something that's super important because, look, if I'm being super critical, right? Which, of course, I am. It's I literally get paid. You know, as a teacher, it's like literally what I'm paid for. It's like learning. You know looking at something, being critical, trying to make it better. Look, you touched both touched on something really, really important. A lot of times when I've looked at the big game and it's like the game where nothing is moving, everybody's just sitting there, everybody's looking at a chart. You, it looks beautiful, but you know, an hour, uh, an hour, you know, in, in, into the, into the game, you kind of go back and it's like, Oh my God, they're all kind of in the same place doing the same thing. What you both touched on, which is unbelievably important is Having a really good GM, somebody who can, like you guys, make the tweaks to Tactica to, you know, have the game move and have everybody, you know, kind of involved. That way people have fun because you have to, I mean, look, if you put 10,000 figures on the table, that's great. But if you don't have a rule set in which things are moving, it could be horrible. And you both really, again, like you both really touched on, touched on that point. It's really important to me. So, so it doesn't sound like you guys are opposed to skirmish gaming. My the the vibe that I'm getting is that any game can be really fun, but there is just something great about that spectacle of the big game. Is that accurate? I, I would agree with you. Um, but again, even in a small game like our World War One project that we're working on, mm-hmm. you know, crates, barrels, farmhouses. Um, little bits and pieces that are just all over the table to bring it to life. To me, that's a spectacle. And I I don't know the gentleman's name, but I've met him a couple of times who does the bolt action tournament mats mm-hmm. for Nashcon and, and places in there. Okay. Who is it, Corey? I think, I believe his name is David Skibicki. And also his wife helps run the tournaments as well. Gotcha. But his mats are not large. They're tournament size, but they are beautiful, beautiful terrain. They're they're sculpted from teddy bear fur and other materials. The roads look like they're paved or they look like mud roads. You can put the big game feel in as small a game as you want. I mean, you know, no zombie game is complete without a donut shop. Right. <laughs> which I now own. Thanks to you, T. Yes. I pre- which I appreciate. And painted, by the way. Yes. Um, but that's the that's to me the most important thing. Um, I have played some fun games where the roads were masking tape and right. the fields were felt because the GM made it fun. To your point, the GM had rules that flowed and you were pushing a lot of troops. There was a there was a lot of decisive action that, you know, the ebb and flow and the emotional tide of of one side versus the other. But I think that the more you can create immersion into the Mm -hmm. period, into the the feel, is where you capture the new gamer. Because we're always always talking about where's the next generation come from. Um, And that's not gray, unpainted models being pushed around on a base because you haven't gotten to painting them yet. But it's something that, you know, hey, you can start at 18 with, 36 figures or to Corey's point with our cowboy game, I've got I think 18 cowboys ready to go. And I think that's all I'm ever going to need. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, at the same time, I, I, I throw back is red dead redemption more satisfying for 30 minutes or an hour on the Xbox 
than setting up a town and pushing, you know, your, your, your troops around for an hour and then taking an hour to break it back down. Right. So to me, and that's, that's where the young people are being drawn. You know, they're being drawn by uh, cost barrier of entry, cost to get started, time to get it ready, someone to play, and the, I guess, the, I guess the distractions of video games and other games that might be more speedy in mm-hmm. their participation. So, again, us old guys – we owe it to the industry to to roll out the troops, to roll out the projects, to come to the conventions, to to inspire the younger generation and get them to aspire to be more like us, knowing that it's a there's it's a multi-layered hobby. You've got I want to do Borodino like they did up at Fort Meade years ago. I got to participate in that with tens of thousands of figures all the way down to. Uh, the game we played with Brian, uh, futuristic game where I think we yep. each there was three, three uh, competing factors yep. uh, factions with um, yeah, it's called this eight is not figures a test. aside. Yep. Yeah, this is not a with test. eight Great figures game. aside. Great, yeah. absolutely was wonderful to play. Beautiful terrain, um, but that's what made it so good is you got sucked in and you were really into the game because yeah. everything was there visually. Uh, appealing, good guys to play with, and very inclusive, including some guys I, I don't think anybody knew um, yeah. jumped in as well. Well, my but, you know, Oh, go ahead, Corey. Go ahead. I was going to say, you know, uh, I, I agree with Titch. You know, for me, it's about, you know, I think skirmish games, is, it's a great way for beginners to get into the hobby, to start paying some figures, right, to get things moving. I think you have to, you know, uh, again, paint your minis, right? You know, you got to have a goal, and each time you want to kind of keep increasing your goal, you know, month over month, you know, invite some friends over, have fun. That's what all about rinse and repeat, right? Paint some more minis, you know, invite some friends over, roll some dice. But for me, it's about, you know, when I think back about what inspired me, it's movies like the Alamo or Waterloo, right? The old Rob Steiger, Waterloo, Lawrence of Arabia, Gettysburg. I mean, that's what is really, you know, when I think about building periods, it's watching those movies or maybe reading a book uh, with uh, big battles, you know, Shiloh or, you know, Austerlitz, right. That really gets my blood uh, pumping, you know, and I want to, um, I want something that looks great, right. I want a game that's visually appealing. That looks great. And I think uh, the big battles, you know, big battalions to me is the way to go, but uh, actually there, this might be a whole topic for a different podcast is, you know, what makes a great game and, and teaching oh, yeah. to it. It's, you know, a game can be, you can have a big, massive game and it can look great, but it can be a horrible experience. I've played in those where, you know, it's like, Oh, by the way, your command's turn, coming in on turn six. And turn six is literally like two hours. You know, nothing I'm like, well, worse. I guess I'll get some lunch. Right. Yeah. I'll go get some lunch. Uh, or or really nothing moves the whole game. You know, maybe you move two inches, right? Uh, I think of some Sea Creek games. I played it like that. World War One Naval, right? Or, yeah. you know, or, or some big uh, Borodino one time. I never moved. I played the Russians. I never moved the yeah, whole horrible. game. You know? yeah. Six to eight hours, I just rolled dice for my artillery and my musketry fire. But I think, you, you know, a, as a great game master, you know, has to know the rules, but they have to know how to craft a great scenario, right? And you know, how that scenario flows, almost like a movie plot. There has to be some drama and some tension and some back and forth. And I think at a con- for a convention game too, there has to be an outcome, right? So I played in a ton of games and there really is no outcome. And it's just called because it's time, you know, for the next session to start, right? So 
Um, again, that's a topic for a different podcast. Again, me and Titch would probably love to talk about that, but what, what makes a great convention game, right? Oh, so hundred um, percent, it, it can be a big game. You know, I, I think Titch and I do a great, great job with our War of the Roses game. I mean, the table looks great. We know the rules. We're experts. There's an ebb and flow, the scenario, you know, the, the, people are into combat quickly. There's no coming in on turn eight, you know, um, the, there's a drama in the game. There's units falling back and, you know, there's uh, people, you know, routing off the table and charges. And then, and then there's a conclusion, right? There's a clear winner and a, and a clear loser and a clear outcome at the end, within, you know, the three to four hour convention window. Um, but I really think, you know, the visual appeal of, of, again, of the big battles, the epic legendary battles, you know, um, it's hard to beat. I'll just yeah. say that it's hard to beat. Right. Um, you know, so, um, those would be kind of my, my, my kind of closing so, comments, so to speak. Yeah. So my final point, um, I guess I, it really quickly, Corey, um, when, so back in the nineties, did you ever go to Cold Wars or Historicon or have you, were you always too far South to, to make the drive up? So there's kind of a joke, but you know, I don't cross the Mason Dixon line terrible just so i I, I go to uh you know i've gone to suncoast skirmishes in florida i've been to siege of augusta many many times actually titch and i were going to uh, siege of augusta yeah probably since the 90s i go to nash con uh i used to go to some of the the conventions here in atlanta um i've been to uh, smaller conventions in tallahassee but uh honestly seriously i really just um things that are easy to drive to. You yeah. Know? So if I can get there in two, three hours, I'm, I'm going, um, if I can't get there in two, three hours, I'm probably not going, um, yeah. mainly because of a hectic work and, um, family uh, schedule. Um, yeah. but I do intend to go sometime. I, I, you know, I, um, I, I get a lot of offers. Hey, come on up, you know, uh, love to have you. Um, and I, I will do it. Um, I just have not done it yet. So the reason I asked, was because I was going to seek. So so now I'll, I'll turn my attention to Titch, right? T, do you remember back in the day, um, Jenkintown Hobby? Do you remember them? Yes. Oh, my God. So uh, so again, I, I rarely weigh in on these conversations. I'm really more the moderator. But you guys have me thinking about something, which again, like Corey, to like what you were saying earlier, we always just end up with more questions than answers. I feel like when we, when we do these friend cast podcasts, just because we all have so much experience and enthusiasm. But you know what I was thinking? So Jenkintown and Hobby back in the day, they they did um, something which I don't know, like I, I I haven't seen a lot of recently, which is the big game, but it sort of transforms into lots of little games, right? So Jenkintown and Hobby back in the day, I don't think it exists anymore, but back in the day, they used to run like exactly what, what T is describing and Corey is describing. So for our audience members, I'll try to tell you this story, but I'll... Try, uh, I'll try to not be long-winded. So Jenkintown Hobby, what they used to do is they used to put a big pirate game on every year in 15 millimeter. And I, as a little kid, played in it. And it's the big game. I want you to imagine a table, just a gigantic square table where you could literally crawl underneath the the uh, tables that the board is sitting on in order to get to the middle so that you can like move some of the troops you might, be able, might not be able to uh, reach with your hands. And what was super cool about that is, so you'd have you know, players playing the pirates, you know, um, getting out of the ships to get to the land and every little group would have different objectives. And then you had like all the international groups on the island. So for example, like think colonial era. Um, so think British and Russian Marines and almost like a uh, 
Boxer Rebellion type feel. So it's the big game, but then what happens is each player, you know, you kind of team up with the person that's next to you, and it's almost like you kind of form your own objectives as the game goes on. That is something that really stuck out, you know, for me as a little kid. And again, T, I don't, I don't remember if you ever played in any of those, but you had to have seen them, right? Yeah, I've I've seen them and and heard tales of them, like oh, like they what were you so just great. said. But I tell you, I tell you, a gamer uh, who I thoroughly respect, and that's Howard Whitehouse. Oh yeah, he's a legend, and Absolutely. he would run some games when he was down south at uh, at NashCon or at the uh, Gamers Retreat, uh, Gamers Reunion, HMGS, uh, uh, where there were the objectives, the sub-objectives, and the secret objectives. And you're working in some times tandem with your team, tandem with the opponent to a point, the friend of my, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and then you're trying to, you know, end up with the most points on your team to win whatever. Super Um, fun. Games like that, are thoroughly engrossing and you really get a, a, a lot of fun because you're, you're, you're with and against and for, and you know, you're doing different things. And of course, you know, I went off the rails, charged my cavalry and blew everything up and then was out of the game really, really quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause that really wasn't my objective, but you know, you give me cav and you give me dice and it's all over but the crime. <laughs> it's very true. This is, this he is, is not fact. lying. And this is a fact, but you know, I think uh, I think it's gotta it's gotta it's gotta suck you in. It's gotta yeah. bring you into the mindset. And Corey will tell you with our War of the Roses game, we have sea, land, castle, and you have the battles. Of course, you know the army's kind of divided into thirds, and you have a centralized command, and he kind of helps guide the other guys. But we'll be on a twenty-four foot table, and the right side is two moves ahead of the left side. Right. But you know what? They're still attacking and defending or things are happening. And then once they start to bridge the gaps between the battles, we have to slow everything down and kind of get everybody back together. Yeah. Um, Which, again, goes back to your point, though, about well, all of our points about having you got to have a good GM. If you have a good GM, then, you know, so it's almost like uh, having a an orchestra conductor that knows what they're doing, you know. So. All right, people. So here's the deal. I love to end um, friendcasts with just, you know, seeing what people are up to in terms of like pr- what projects we're working on. As we only have, uh, you know, even though we're thoroughly excited, it keep, could keep going and going and going and going. I don't even know if you're still listening. You probably are. I mean, you probably are very interesting people. But that said, um, I'll say this before I ask these gentlemen, because this is a dangerous question, right? Because they, you know, both Titch and Corey, as you can see, not only are they entertaining, but they're also thorough. So before we do that, um, what I will say to the audience is what I'd love to do, and we'll have to see how this goes, is um, 20 Sided has been getting a lot of media passes as of late. So for example, we're 100% going to be at PAX, um, which is in Philly in December. God willing, fingers crossed, we got the pass to do Salute, which supposedly T and I are going to. Maybe what we should do on this podcast is get one of those passes essentially for NashCon. And maybe what I can do is get together with these guys. Because again, if you're listening out there, we also need like photographic evidence or maybe even a video. So maybe what we can do is really kind of 
bring what these two gentlemen are gonna kind of plan on doing for NashCon, you'll see the big game, you know, so you can kind of quote me on that. We'll, we'll really try to make that happen for next year and, you know, get it up online so y'all can see and even maybe even do a little interviewing on site. So with that in mind, Corey, we'll start with you. Um, what's on your painting table? What are you so doing? I, I have a lot going on. I'm known for that. Titch sometimes makes fun of me. Titch is very focused and he's very prolific and he'll work on, you know, I'll paint up 500 more of the Roses figures at one time. I get bored. I like to paint up a unit of this and I'll switch to something else. So if you looked at my painting table right now, it's very chaotic. So what's on my painting table? I've got some 15 millimeter American Civil War. And you're probably asking, well, why 15 millimeter American Civil War, uh, yes, right? Everybody, yes. yeah. So, I mean, that's everybody's, most people have that, right? So if you've been a gamer for a while, you probably have an army. Well, that's really what I started gaming with. And I've kind of hit a gaming midlife crisis, I like to call it. And I was like, I, mean, I really want to complete this project. And not by, by complete, I don't mean more units. What I'm doing is filling in all the odds and ends. So I'm painting caissons and more limbers and civilians and casualties and camp scenes and um, livestock. And, you know, I, I really want to bring my, you know, table to life with all these little, you know, just, just scenes and subplots. And so uh, <laughs> right, right. I, I, I am painting more troops, but I, I kind of doubled back and doubled down on that. Um, Titch and I, our project for uh, this year, 2023 and 2024, I'd say, well, let's say our project for the next 12 months is we're doing 28 millimeter 30 years more. So I actually have a tercio. I'm, I'm painting the imperialist. Titch is painting Swedes for the most part. And uh, I have a, a, a tercio. And, but we're, I'm doing big units. I mean, these are, uh, you know, my, my tercio is probably... 40, 40 figures, I think, you know, right. and I'll, I'll paint a few of those, but we're, we're our, originally we're going to, our plan is to do the battle of Lutzen, uh, as far as the order of battle, 28 millimeter American civil war. So ACW I've got about in four scales. Of course, that's the curse of being a gamer, right? Two millimeter, 10 millimeter, 15, yes. 28. Um, but, um, uh, um, I, you know, I can't help myself. I always have a unit or two in the work. So I've got some Perry miniatures, plastic Perry's on the painting table. Uh, go into my local gaming store and I'll give them a shout out because I'm a big believer you need to support your local gaming store, right? Uh, uh, there's two here in Atlanta that are, I think are ex uh, you know exceptionally great, uh, Gigabytes Cafe and Level Up Games. Uh, but I always pick up some you know D and D monsters or characters. I don't play a lot of D and D right now, but I mean I will play and I do have plans to to, to do something sometime. But I love just painting some of those things and painting you know owl bears and so I'll just pick up a random monster from time to time. I've got a few of those up there. And then War of the Roses. So Titch and I have, you know, every, every year we continue to add to that project. And it's a project that started actually, Titch, I think in 99. Um, and, you know, every year we're just adding to it. So that that table just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we add more and more units. So I'm always, I've always got a War of the Roses. You know, I think I've got some uh, Yorkist command and Lancastrian command on the table to paint. But I, that's what's on my table um, right now. That is a lot. And by the way, you're right. Because as I was thinking about picking on you for the fact that you're painting 15 millimeter ACW when you have like a gigantic collection of 25s. Dude, I have World War One in like six different scales. So it's like, I, I can't. It's, a, it's an addiction. It's a problem, right? <laughs> All right. So now, again, 
Titch White will be back on this podcast, I'm sure. He has been so unbelievably good and tame. I'm not going to lose my job. Corey's business is not going to be, you know, you know, ruined by his wildness, right? But this is this is the most dangerous question you can ask Titch White because again, Corey, uh, you know, used the word prolific earlier about his painting. So, with much much trepidation, Titch White, <laughs> what what you, what's on your table? <laughs> well, my table's got a has got three phases: what's actually being painted, what's prepped to paint. And what's primed or unprimed and ready to go. So um, I paint for the most part on paint sticks. So I glue six or eight 28 millimeter figures on a paint stick and then pound through them. And I'll tend to base on the sticks ready to go uh, for priming six, eight units. Um, Usually have four to six units primed. And then whatever units on the table being worked on. But like Corey, I blend in other things. Um, I'll make a vignette. You know, I, I, like right now, I'm a little burned out on Swedes, 28 millimeter Swedes and 28 man battalion or, or regiments. Um, I have 48 to paint and 144 calf that are slowly being ground down. That'll be for our game. And to me, that's a small game. But I've got really three major periods I'm working on, and that's early Marlborian, late Marlborian, and 30 Years War. And then I've always got something War of the Roses-wise that flows in 12 Cav, uh, 24, 36 Infantry, um, just to break it up. Um, but I, I tend to paint two to two and a half hours a night, five nights a week. Um, and, and turn out some units. Uh, Corey's got a tercio, uh, for the record, that's one, that's only <laughs> one and one unit of calf. And I have six units of calf and three or four infantry regiments done. Oh, and 12 guns in the Jesus. same amount of time. I'm, so, I'm getting exhausted just listening to, I'm just giving Corey <laughs> grief because I love him, but that's, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I get on, a. I get on a kick and I just crank and crank and crank till I can't slide another unit in, paint a unit of Dutch for uh, Beneath the Lily Banners, and then boom, here comes another three regiments of 30 Years War ready to go. Um, But I tell you, the summer's been kind of slow because it was so humid and so hot down here. I'd weeks where I couldn't prime anything because the primer would literally melt off the figure. So Now that we're getting some cooler weather, I will probably prime up about 300 30 years war figures, line them up, start knocking them out. Yeah, sweet. Well, look, guys, this was uh, a ton of fun, and it's going to be nice adding you to the rotation. I really look, don't get me wrong, I enjoy bringing on authors and, you know, rules writers you know, manufacturers. I like obviously having people like that on plus all the professors and teachers and people like that. But there is definitely something special and just so much fun about bringing on people from the game club, people, you, people, you know, and being able to tackle some of these questions, because I'm sure there's somebody out there that is new to the hobby. And I do think that they, they can get a lot out of some of these conversations that we have. So, um, I had a blast talking with you guys. So again, I think, um, we have a couple of ideas for the next show, I guess, right? 
I think that's probably true. Corey, T. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think absolutely. so. I think so. Yeah. Awesome. So. Well, look, uh, yeah. So um I think that's gonna kind of be it. Like I hope everybody out there, um, I know I'm being very unsophisticated right now, very unprofessional, but again, like it's a friend cast, you know, it's kind of the point. I hope really hope that you enjoyed listening. And T and Corey, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. You guys have a nice night. Thanks for you having too. us. Enjoyed it. enjoyed it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it oh, was great. Our pleasure. Of course. Anytime. So for all you listeners out there, I hope you guys are safe. Um, and without further ado, I'm going to sign off. Everybody, have a wonderful evening. See you all later. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore NextGen underscore Inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.